From Daylight, I'm Kazuki Akiba. I'm Brandon Beiser. And this is Sound Eye Baseball. This is a podcast where you and I find unseen baseball gems by analyzing them alongside different trends, news, and motivation behind many moves around the league today. Welcome, welcome to probably the sign our baseball episode that best typifies what this show is all about. Uh, it's pretty much in the name itself. It's the I, I'm, I'm thinking Ichiro was the player that brought you and I together. Uh, I, I'm under that impression. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound about right to you? Yeah, I mean, when we started playing softball together, right, uh, you were a huge Mariners fan and our favorite player was Ichiro. So you know, so I think that's one thing in this podcast, uh, the inception of it was starting off was like, if Japanese players could be successful in the MLB and we had to analyze. And obviously one of the person we analyzed was Ichiro. Right. I mean, Ichiro, I would think, I would think Hideo Noma was probably the first Japanese baseball player that really struck during us growing up. Yeah. Um, and you, and you obviously that live being raised in Los Angeles. And he was an incredible talent pitching for the Dodgers. And I think the thing that obviously mystified and created a lot of wonder around him was the sidewinder pitching approach that he came into. I mean, no one has pitched like him since. Not even, I would say, future Asian players who have become successful in the major league baseball. I mean, you had Byung Hyun Kim who pitched with, with his submarine throw, but no one did the sidewinder approach right. quite like right, the tornado, quite like Hideo Nomo. And then I would say several years later, Ichiro comes. And I would say at the same time, we, 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 as much as this is an Ichiro focused podcast, the, the, at the same time, you had Hideki Matsui who joined the MLB and together. When you think about the, the styles of play that both of them brought they were obviously different rightfully so i mean they grew up in a very different baseball league a different baseball instructory instruction approach and each row is obviously everyone first thing everyone knows about each row is his batting stance um he would line up like a precision marksman when he would he like would eye you down when he brought the bat he would bring the bat under and then bring it over his eyesight line it up with the pitcher every pitch, not just at the first pitch, but every pitch. And we just line it up. And I still do that today as, as, as you know, line it up every time and would, would line up with the pitcher, bring the bat back and, and get ready to hit. And we'll quickly go on Matsui. Matsui did the same thing. Matsui wasn't as, 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 as I would say, as, as much as a circle, but Matsui would bring the bat back, line it up with the pitcher, bring the bat down and would go for it. And like you said, Ichiro debuted on April 2nd, 2001. I was pulling up the roster when he joined the Mariners. So he was a rookie on at a team. Age 27. Age 27. He retired at age 45 um, with the Mariners on their, on their final game when they played in Tokyo. So on the Mariners start. So here's the starting lineups for the game that he started his first game against Oakland on April 2nd. 2001. So the starting lineup for the Oakland Athletics, Johnny Damon, 
Jose Ortiz, Jason Giami, Almedo Signs, Eric Chavez, Miguel Tejado, Terrence Long, Jeremy Giambi, and Ramon Hernandez. Tim Hudson was the starting pitcher. For the Mariners, Ichiro Suzuki, Mike Cameron, Edgar Martinez, John Olerud, Brett Boone, Al Martin, David Bell, Dan Wilson, Carlos Guillen. Freddie Garcia was a starting pitcher. And this is, I think, one of the things that I think we want to start out very clearly. Like we want to talk about each of those wonderful stats. I mean, there's, there's nothing, there's so many stats and so many wonderful facts and, and figures by Ichiro. But the, the closer for that game of the Mariners was Kazuhiro Sasaki. And I think the one thing that always struck me about Ichiro and what he did for baseball, let alone the Mariners, was that he introduced the, Mar- the Mariners fan base to Japanese baseball players. I mean, we obviously know the Nintendo connection. That was a very strong and obvious connection. But on the Mariners from that season forward, I can think of at least four notable Japanese players. It was Ichiro, Kenji Jojima behind the plate, number two. Shigatoshi Hasegawa, who was a reliever, not really a closer, but he was a reliever. And then Kazuhiro Sasaki, who was the closer. Uh, and they were all existed on the, at the same time on the Mariners over the years. And it, I think that's the first thing that I think about. When I think about Ichiro. Other than the fact that he could hit the ball like at, at wherever he wanted all the time. He brought Japanese culture to Seattle baseball. And I think that's a, that's a fairly significant factor when you, when you think about it, because I think that's what made the hype around like Shohei Otani potentially going to the Mariners a big deal. Is the Mariners were a fairly young organization overall in 2001 in terms of like what they, other than the 95 series and then being quite good at obviously with Griffey and Rodriguez, but they really hadn't had like a big international flair to them. Um, obviously, a lot of baseball does come from Latin America, and that's significant. But there, but to have four Japanese players led by arguably one of the the best hitter in baseball of that era on your team was something that I don't think I've really seen since. And and that's what really always stuck out to me about Ichiro was he basically introduced Seattle to Asian baseball players, Asian baseball culture. And like I said, I'm, I'm the, of the, of the podcast duo here. I'm the one who's not Asian American. You are. So what was it like to, you know, see this influx of players to one city? And then obviously everyone really investing in like, oh my gosh, we have four players from Japan on our team at the same time. I think the big thing, you know, you know, Novo, uh, before Novo, uh, obviously there was a Giants pitcher uh, who came in the 60s and that didn't work out because of the strict uh, rule was MPB uh, regarding the uh, whole uh, posting system and Jap- Jap- the Japanese league itself didn't want to release any Japanese players to the U.S. They want to keep it to themselves and Novo really broke that barrier. So there are pitchers coming in, but I think What's significant about Ichiro about this whole time, he was a huge catalyst for Asian, like, you know, position players to actually come in and break that barrier because no Asian position players actually came in to play uh, baseball in the major leagues. 
And like he was like the test to see like, you know, can MPP player translate their skills into the US. And, you know, at the time people like Otani, I think it seems thing with spring training, you know, Ichiro struggled. He didn't hit that well. He was very small, lanky. Even Lou Pinella was kind of wondering, like, what, you know, is this guy even going to have any um, impact on this team? Like, are, are we sure about this? And it, it's on, on the brink of after Rodriguez, A-Rod, who carried the team into the playoffs in the 2000s, leaving. So it's like taking over that mantle as well. And no one was sure what was going to happen. And I think his impact as a person bringing that in was not only significant, but also, you know, as an agent, obviously, um, he brought a huge uh, impact into like what we could do when we could play. And I think there was more of a warmer presence, like later on towards like agents, like more affinity towards them playing in a major league because of the big success that he brought into the um, league. Yeah. I mean, like you said, the position player aspect is something I said, I, I didn't really take stock of, but like I said, it's, he played, it was him and Matsui kind of came around the same time. And there were two very different baseball players. Matsui was more of a power hitter, Ichiro being more of a hit for contact player, but they both had huge averages in their, in their, in their, on their best days. And when that kind of set up, like you said, this test market of can Japanese players succeed outside of being a pitcher? Because like I said, Hideo Nomo was such a spectacular player for the Dodgers in terms of, and no one could even have thought like, if we copy that model with a, could we get any remote level of success that the Dodgers got with Nomo with a position player? And you said Ichiro was, he joined the Mariners in 2001 from the... Japanese Oryx blue wave. Yep. the Oryx blue waves. And then Matsui joined Matsui. I haven't, I have to double check what your Matsui joined the Yankees, but the, the, the thought was like, can this happen? And these two play and then Metro didn't go to like New York or Los Angeles. He went to Seattle. And obviously we know why Seattle had a certain degree of standing with that is the connection with a Nintendo ownership group. And they had some degree of familiarity with, you know, connections with Japan. And then he joined the team and if you look at the Mariners team that he joined, like you said, A-Rod was gone. Griffey wasn't there. And he played in right field. And from my time living in Seattle and right field, there is a not, not a Hall of Fame player, but a fairly beloved player. And that was Jay Buhner. Jay Buhner was a massive power hitter for the, for the Mariners. And he had obviously was not, th- was not there. So it was now you had Ichiro slotting against newcomer Mike Cameron. Mike Cameron was still new to the Mariners to a certain degree at that point because Mike Cameron's filled the role that Griffey left. So you have Mike Cameron and Ichiro in the outfield. And then you have Edgar and you have you know Dan Wilson, John Olerud. You have like these stable players. And obviously we know what happens in 2001 with the Mariners. The 2001 Mariners team is the team that everyone, you know, judges against because Obviously, they had the, that was a 116-win season team. Each row won Rookie of the Year that season. I mean, it's a fairly incredible line. I mean, in Ichiro's first season, he played 157 games. He had 242 hits. 
eight home runs, six RBIs. He struck out 53 times, batted 350, had an OPS of 838. I mean, it's it's insane <laughs> when you look at that. He stole 56, right? Bases. Stolen bases, he stole 56 bases. And every year he was in Seattle, he stole no fewer than 25 bases. He stole, yeah, so he stole 56 was his best year. Then the next year he stole 31, 34. I mean, obviously he had 200 hits per season for his first 10 seasons in the league. Obviously, 2004 being the season where he broke the George Sisler record of 262. But he played a complete season, played all 162 games, 2005. So we'll start getting into the stats now about Ichiro. So Ichiro's stats with the Mariners. So just with the Mariners, let's let's go through this. He had 2,542 hits across 1,861 games of the Mariners. He hit 99 home runs for 633 RBI. He had 438 stolen bases. He struck out 800 times, which is everyone always criticized each. Everyone always know that Ichiro barely struck out. But he, I, I'll just stuck there. When Ichiro struck out, it was ugly. Like he swung so badly when he struck out. Like he didn't really, I don't remember him really getting like caught looking a lot, but when he struck out, every observer in the crowd is like, just kind of cringed a little bit because it looked ugly. It did not look pretty when Ichiro got got rung up. So that was something. His career batting average of Mariners was 321. I mean, the the thing that I, even his first game, he had a bunt single for a, an RBI. Uh, and that was the thing that everyone talked about was from a hitting perspective. We'll start with the hitting perspective, obviously. It was his style at the plate, how he got on base, and the fact that he had immense speed. When you, when you look through those kind of those simple things about Ichiro, what are the, how would you what would you say the thing that when you look at the way that he approached hitting was the thing that caught your eye first? Um, you know, I, I'm going to take it from the show called The Professional from NHK. They really have a thorough breakdown of Ichiro and his approach. I mean, they had a whole they tracked his like lives essentially. And his approach is very interesting. Usually as a hitter, you will look for like the meatball pitch, right? The easiest pitch to hit where it's like, I'm going to crush it. Each row is a complete opposite in terms of how he approaches play. He looks for the finish, uh, the pitcher's finish pitch, you know, the two strike pitch where most of them, it's going to be a breaking ball down in the dirt, like a splitter. He's going to aim for that pitch and hit that back. That's uh, the joy he finds in hitting where, he wants to hit something that uh, he wants to hit the pitcher's best pitch because if you crush that pitch, that crushes the pitcher's soul. And that's that was his aim all the time. And that's why you know, like you see him swinging at very low pitches and bad located pitches because he knows that's like the uh, pitcher's like best like pitch to be thrown in. And once you crush that, it's kind of like, oh, like, you know, I thought I had him, but no, I didn't. Yeah. I mean, like you said, he his approach to the plate was was fairly remarkable. And like you said, he could pretty much hit anything wherever he wanted. That was obviously the first thing everyone noticed. And then when he got on base, it was, he could run. I mean, he was going to run on you every chance he got. I mean, we have to, we'll, we'll quickly mention in, in this first season, 
He was rookie of the year in the AL and AL, AL MVP. He was a golden a gold glove and a silver slugger. I mean, like that was his rookie year in 2001 for the Mariners. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing I know when I watched him play. So I saw Ichiro play against the Red Sox, the Yankees, and the, I believe maybe once against the Orioles. He would all, like you said, he would go up against any pitcher and he would find a way to get on base and it would swing at the ugly pitches. He would swing at the, the meatball pitches. He would swing at anything just to, he would, when he got a chance to put the ball in play, he put it in play. Uh, but yeah, every pitcher, it was like, how can you get out Ichiro? It's like, it was impossible to get him out with like your, your best pitch wasn't going to do it against Ichiro. It had to be, it had to be remarkable or you're, you're behind you. You had to really depend on your fielders. And like I said, the way that each row swung was the other thing. Like he swung, like it was a very clean level swing when he needed to be. But also each row never hit a lot of home runs in a season. But the joke was in batting practice, he could pump them over the wall and, and safe go now T-Mobile Park with ease, with absolute ease. Yeah, I think uh, that, that continued into his entire MLB career, right? To the Yankees, to the Marlins. Like he would always hit home runs no matter what. And I think Barry Bonds, I think at the hitting coach at the time was like, why are you hitting home runs here? Why can't you save for the game? But yeah, that was his like MO. He always hit home runs. He just wants to enjoy hitting it on a barrel all the time. Right. I mean, he, until even his, his later years, I mean, he was batting two, three, he batting well over 300 most seasons. I mean, he ended one, he ended the 2004 season bang 372. So, whoo. <laughs> um, but I think he never wanted to be a guy like we think about leadoff hitters who hit home runs today, like Jose Altuve in particular. I mean, first pitch, la first pitch is out of the park kind of stuff. I mean, last night, uh, Boston's playing Tampa Bay, Yandy Diaz, first pitch of the game for Michael Waka actually unloads over the green monster. We never expected that from Ichiro, but when we got it, it was like, this looks so easy for him. And that it was the way that he didn't really like kick to, to bat. He would just kind of slide into it and he would, and he would, and his motion would just do all the work, but he would, when he would, the, the really thing about when he hit the ball that I always enjoyed watching was when he got the ball to go dressed down the first baseline, like that drags single, like that infield single, he was the king of the infield single. Like there was no one better at it than him. Like he put the ball exactly where he needed to go to get on the first base. And then he allowed every other player behind him to do it because we have players like Mike Cameron early and Edgar Martinez and John Olerud and Brett, obviously Brett Boom is there. I think quite long the Mariners. You don't have to, you don't, you don't have to get on. They can get you home. You know, the, Mar the Mariners weren't obviously they were great to start. And then, you know, they followed off, had some pretty, pretty poor seasons, but they had players, you know, put the row and put the whole thing together for them. And he kind of off you go. Um, so that's Ichiro at the plate. I, I, I want to talk about Ichiro in the fields because I think this is where I think originally I didn't really put a lot of stock in it, but over the years I've gotten to really appreciate it. Uh, when you think about Ichiro in the field, I'll start with you on this one. What do you think of? Uh, I mean, besides the laser beam throw uh, coming out of Star Wars, taking away from the uh, David, uh, uh, you know, Dave, uh, uh, late Dave uh, from the Mariners broadcast, but also um, I think his incredible range, especially reading the ball, catching the ball by the wall. Uh, and there's like a huge story to why he's actually really good at that. Um, he's been doing this since he was in Japan, where 
after every game, he would spend like hours practicing a catch right behind the wall um, or even like behind uh, doing a basket catch so that he's prepared to do the in the game. So like like this is why he could do incredible you know tricks right there is because he's practiced. He's like the demon of like practice. He just practices so much that no one notices it. And when, when you see a game time, it seems so natural because he's done it like 1000 times. Oh yeah. I would say the, the, the thing that the, let's, let's first start with the throw. Everyone tries to copy me included how to throw an Ichiro outfield laser. Like it's how do you line up your body to throw it and throw it that hard and that fast. And it's very challenging because the first thing you want to do is airmail it. You're just going to airmail it every time you try to throw it as hard as he does, but he would just, you know, catch it and throw it like a pitcher. Like he, like I look at the way like Tim Lincecum throws a pitch. Tim Lincecum throws a like when he throws a fastball. When he was on, it was like an art because he would throw his body completely towards the home plate, and it was a start. And then you watch Ichiro how Ichiro threw it, and Ichiro would throw the ball. He would kind of like even like from the stretch almost like and just kind of throw his arm and just lead with the ball and he would follow through just the right amount to get it to go straight in. I mean, all the, the first play that he really became famous for the outfield was that laser to third base in against Oakland. I mean, that play was nuts just to like on a line, no hops kind of thing. And it just right in there. Yeah, so actually the th there's a testimony from Karen Stong who got uh, called out from that throw. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, after that, Ichiro was like, maybe I should have, shouldn't have done that in the first series because like no one like stopped running on him after that throw. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it was so ridiculous. Like he, I mean, if, if you think about it, like, how do you get someone on that? Like it's obviously opposite side, opposite field. And you're just throwing a laser because Ichiro was a right fielder. Ichiro really rarely, rarely, rarely played center to start. And then even less rare played left so right field he's trying to get people out normally at second third and maybe home he had the longest throw to make and i think that's why the mariners managers all like mariner that's why he preferred that i don't think he had the he, his orientation to throwing the ball really lent itself to right field and then the next thing obviously is how he could climb the wall it was like a, it was, he could know how to like grip the wall with his spikes. He knew how high the wall was. Like he said, he practiced this. And like, there was always the play where he would, he would put one foot on the wall, turn his body and was fate with all of a sudden from facing the stands to facing the field and could catch the ball and come down so gracefully and not hurt himself and land straight and then make a throw back into the, the field of play. I think that was always thing about Ichiro in the field that really kind of stuck with me is he was just so magnificent at keeping himself balanced no matter what he did when he threw the ball and when he caught the ball. So I think that really speaks to what Ichiro meant like as like an aesthetic to watching him play. Um, did you ever get to see Ichiro play live? Yeah, I did many, many times. So when, when you, like I said, as, as people on this podcast, I'm just, you know, a kid who grew up in Seattle. So that's why my affinity came intro, but you were an outside observer. 
I mean, also, let's let's be very frank here. Your Asian, the Asian American, Asian connection is very profound. When you see a player like Ichiro do what he did. So what was it like when you saw Ichiro play? I mean, I remember going with my uh, family like very often into, because I'm from LA, I actually go to Anaheim to see him and Angel Stadium uh, often. I know we like measure like how fast he ran from first to third, like what was his like run time. I think um, the way he played really inspired me as like a tiny frame, you know, aging and a kid growing up. Um, you know, he like, he was the one like who like, you know, his like life story and it's like the way of approaching baseball is like what like wanted me to be a baseball player originally um, as growing up as a kid and I like him I actually switched from hitting from right to left because of him and also the play uh like you know the type of play I made was like pretty much like Ichiro where it's like all contact hit because I was a small guy and try to hit like him and make contact and um you know like what he was doing on the field like I really wanted to be like him like I mean I think the type of player he is is like the quiet demeanor very reserved, not too flashy, but will like come up in the clutch when it's important. Like you've seen that in many, many moments, especially even in the international stage in the World Baseball Classic when he got the gold in 09 um, for Japan uh, against Korea. I think that was like pretty significant. Like he was like a quiet leader, like Edgar Martinez, like who just had a composure and was able to deliver when it mattered. Yeah, I mean, he was a quiet. The Mariners have really. Mariners having a vocal leader was kind of like a like an interesting phenomenon to kind of watch not really have that. Like Ichiro is a very quiet player when it comes to what we would say in the media, because as everyone knows in the media, Ichiro would rarely do an interview without a translator. And everyone kind of was like a little bit confused by that because everyone knew that Ichiro could, you know, handle a, a, uh, an interview on his own in English. But people in Seattle knew it was just like, it was just Ichiro. He didn't want to be like the loud face, uh, like the like the, the main face of the team. Is like, there were other players that were, that meant, a, obviously had a more history and more meaning to the city. And he was like, let them talk. I'll, I'll say my part, but I am just, that's not my style. And we, everyone in Seattle seemed to really have like, you know, embrace it. It was just Ichiro. And I, I, I continue to look at the, like the Mariners were, pretty bad when he was on the team. Uh, But when I first saw Ichiro, I purposely bought tickets with my dad in Yankee Stadium in right field to watch Ichiro. And that's how I honestly first, my first memory of watching him with my dad was we wanted to see what it was like to be in Ichiro's territory because that's where you're obviously going to watch him the most. Um, obviously, an old Yankee Stadium, a very diff, a very challenging right field to begin with because it's a short porch. It's like, how is Ichiro going to, you know, do this? And that's how I remember him. And every time it was basically not a matter of if, it's a matter of when Ichiro's going to get on base. And I would say the thing that really stood out to me the most is he the, the infield single plays. Like, he could hit a tapper down the third baseline or up the first baseline and he was on base and everyone in the crowd was just in awe of that. That was kind of, like I said, the first real meaning of the first real sights and sounds of Ichiro that I really got used to. Um, 
The other thing that always kind of was pretty significant and, and, and will always stick in my mind is when Seattle played New York with Matsui and Ichiro. We, we go back to this. It was like the Super Bowl. It could be a regular, it was a regular season game. Obviously, because Mariners were making the playoffs. But the amount of media from Japan that descended on a Mariners Yankees game was incredible. I mean, think about it. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's Godzilla. Matsui, I mean, Ichiro and Matsui are very different type of people and player. Like, you know, Matsui was like the superstar, kind of like Bryce Harper level of like pedigree, where like everyone knew about him since he was very, very young even before high school. And in high school, Koshian, he was like the biggest star where he got officially walked five times in a single game. So like, you know, there was always media covering and he was part of the Giants, which is like the Yankees in Japan. So like he was such a prominent figure and each shows like the complete opposite. No one knew about him. I mean, he was in Koshian, but he wasn't like a big player there. And even when he was in the blue wave, yeah, he made a lot of noises, especially because of his three Pacific League like champion. but he was still like not that well known compared to Matsui. So like having like the clash of the Titans there where, you know, Ichiro was slightly older than Matsui and Matsui only followed into the U.S. because of Ichiro a few years later. So I think that's like the interesting part about that whole clash is like a two different type of hitter, two different type of personality uh, uh, facing against each other. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it was, it was, it was, if you think about one, it wasn't like a rivalry but it was two players that everyone if you're in Japan would associate with like the two best players for the exact different reasons. Like Matsui was basically the equivalent of like a Barry Bonds type of player. I mean, he was going to hit home runs if he, every time. And if he didn't hit a home run, you were going to walk him. Ichiro didn't really get a lot of intentional walks for the sake of, you know, he's going to hit a home run. Ichiro was going to get a lot of potential walks because we don't want to put him, we don't want him on base. We don't want to put, we, we don't want to, you know, get him to you know, hit a single or hit a double and runners are going to score. So, but you really, each was going to hit with that. You aren't going to get a double play ball kind of thing, but you're right. I mean, it's just, that was such a difference of style to, to play against. And I don't think in terms of international players, level players from Japan, we've seen that kind of, I would say stark rivalry of sorts of just contrast of players um, since, but that was, I mean, that was, it was must, it was must watch, must listen, must visit. If back it went, when it it felt like it, you know, visiting old Yankee stadium to see Ichiro play Matsui. It was like, it was, it was like, it was Godzilla versus like, like a whole different comic book sh- universe because they were so different but it was just that interesting and and i'm i'm trying to think about really what ichiro kind of lasting memory and we'll 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 kind of close the our shorter episode today on this like what ichiro's memory was to the mariners to and then to baseball overall because i think we'll kind of figure out how we kind of feel about that so what do you think Ichiro's real legacy is to the mariners because the mariners as a team were not great when Ichiro was there other than 2001 and a couple they have not been in the playoffs since Ichiro's rookie season 
And now, like I said, he was just good. He was an individually amazing player. But what do you think Ichiro's real memory was as a Mariner legacy? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, I think uh, when Ichiro joined, that was like probably at the peak of the Mariners like team, right? And then everything kind of went downhill. Or I, w- I don't want to say it's a collapse, but collapse of the Mariners franchise. But, um, you know, I think it was like through a couple of bad GMing that, you know, there wasn't really much players to, that started him with talent. But I think the legacy of Ichiro really comes down to uh, bringing in a huge international influence into the, not only the, uh, you know, the city of Seattle, but also to the game of baseball and his legacy, you know, and, and, and more Japanese players presence in Japan, uh, in the Mariners, right? Like, yeah, like after, um, Ichiro, uh, obviously Kenji Jojimo, who I was a huge fan of because I was a catcher when I was playing. Um, he came in and you have, um, other players like Nori Aoki. Uh, I think Mune Nori Kawasaki was like the huge idol of Ichiro who really like looked up to him and he followed Ichiro into Mariners. Same as, um, Sashi Iwakuma, he was another one. And obviously, Yusei Kikuchi, who's almost the last of Japanese uh, foreign player to be in the U.S. You know, Mariners really brought in more Japanese presence, uh, to, you know, not only to the city, but to the team. And I think that's one of its legacy. And also, it's a legacy of, you know, great hitting and different style of hitting. I think that, that like, breaking the, not only breaking the records for not only having 200 hits in 10 consecutive seasons, but also the George Tesla record. I think those two have brought significant impact to like you know everywhere in uh in the game and i think one last thing is probably discipline the game of discipline is what Ichiro is and i think a lot of people respect that and i think a lot of them have that um mentality even scott service today and as a mariner uh manager like he has that mentality of kaizen which is to change adapt to change and i think Ichiro was like a main type of guy who always adapted to change all the time yeah i, I think you you hit on something i never really looked at the main players in in mariners history up until each row being there were not a lot basically acquisitions jay buner was an acquisition he was incredible randy johns was acquisition he was incredible but those were like you know they were known somewhat known commodities you go out and you pay a bunch of money to a foreign baseball league to post a player and he comes to you and Mariners fans like we never done this before. What are you supposed to get out of this? And who is Ichiro? And because I would say the early two thousands, America might have a very large knowledge consensus wise about how Japanese baseball played out. The me if like, if like we saw highlights maybe a couple times on like Sports Center or something, but like the knowledge we knew about Japanese baseball was pretty limited compared to now. And this player who doesn't play like Major League Baseball players, who doesn't like really have the same kind of approach, joins the Mariners. And what's he supposed to? And he lights it up instantly. And like you said, the first season he's with the team, he gets an MVP, a Rookie of the Year. Silver Slugger, Golden Glove, team wins the most win has the most wins of any team in the modern era of baseball. So it's just a lightning struck. And every season thereafter, it's like you could always count on Ichiro. Even at his older age, you could always count on Ichiro. The team may be bad. Ichiro is great. And you said you had Ichiro paired with these other players and it showed like the Mariners franchise, like we're never 
got, we always have this ability to kind of pair players in different ways. Ichiro, Edgar Martinez was the, the second coming of that Martinez to Griffey of the nineties. And A-Rod was gone in two, obviously in the early 2000s and had left the team. So the Mariners really need like, like, a, like a lightning bolt type of player. Like a player who's going to really like spark the offense. A-Rod was that top of the order kind of player. And he got Ichiro Suzuki, who was not, like you said, he wasn't drafted by the Mariners. He was a player for many years in another league who came in and did something that had never been done before. So that's the, that's I think his legacy was. Like he just showed the Mariners fans like, no matter where we're going to find talent, we're, we're going to really hopefully get the best of it. Cause there were some bad trades. The Mariners have made since then. We have some Eric Bedard, Cliff Lee, et cetera. But there are a few players that have electrified the Mariners fan base like Ichiro. I mean, we are living it to a certain degree. The, the start of it right now. I, I think maybe we were a little too young to have recognized how great he was when he first started. When we think of Julio Rodriguez rookie season, it feels like maybe how Ichiro's first season felt. This generational talent has dropped into your lap. What happens now? And, and like you said, the other part about this is the amount of Japanese players that have per, come through Seattle and have been a part of Major League Baseball history since Ichiro joined. And majority of them are not pitchers. And I think that's, I think, because they all stop in Seattle from Nori to... Kawasaki. I mean, you had all these like really like not they weren't known commodities to major league baseball fans, but to Japanese fans, they were amazing. And obviously, the most recent being Shohei Otani. And then you have this year, you have Seiya Suzuki on the on the Cubs. Like that's something that really kind of shows that. So I think greater baseball is you can find talent outside of the traditional what was the traditional baseball markets like Latin America was is flush with talent. I'm watching a little league world series now and I'm watching a team from Curacao who seems like they're always there. Curacao is a Caribbean, not really Latin America, but I'm watching jerks and Profar on this broadcast 15 years ago. And now he's in the major leagues. And you think about like, Japanese baseball players and Asian baseball players, like watching the KBO during 2020 when there's no other baseball available. It's like, we saw players that just kind of were immensely impressive. And it's like, what if they came to the United States? And we, we have, we saw that, we saw that exactly happen. Hassan Kim came from the KBO to the Padres and has been a significant part of their team over the last couple of years. And I think Ichiro left that mark on baseball in general. It's like you can find talent and they will be a little bit different compared to your normal pipeline of talent, but they're going to be immensely important to your organization. And they don't have to be a pitcher from, from Asia. And like I said, Hideo Nomo left that mark immediately. And then Ichiro brought this amazing influence of style and balance and philosophy that most Japanese players have adopted and they come to America and they can be quite successful. And they actually mean like when you, when you think about the posting system, how many people were in on Shohei Otani, how many people were in on Seiya Suzuki, 
you say Kikuchi, to people were all in on these players because they kind of saw like Japanese baseball has real meaning. And I think between first Nomo and then really Ichiro and then the wave thereafter, it was an immense talent of players from Asia. And I always have fall back to this and I don't mean it's like a, like, like a, like a broken record. I'm not Asian American. I just have a sincere appreciation for what Asian players did for the Seattle's Mariners team. But to look at the style of players that I've seen come out from Asia and what it means to like you as an observer to you, I've seen Asian American players succeed at the highest level. It just feels so rewarding to watch that happen. It's like, they are there. They are in front of you. You could see them now. And they're not, you know, seven, 8,000 miles away. They're at your ballpark in Anaheim and you're from Los Angeles. So you can go and watch them. I think that's what really Ichiro meant to baseball. I, I, I really have nothing else to really add on to that. A hundred percent. You said what I, what I wanted to say. Yeah. I mean, like, as, as always, everyone, you all know, this is a Seattle, this is the Seattle Mariners fan podcast, certain degree. And we'll, we'll close on this. When, when we watch baseball now, we see these exciting plays that mean a great deal. They make highlights on social media, on SportsCenter, on MLB Network, all across the, all across the world. When Kazuki and I grew up, the first, one of the first players to really kind of like blow our minds was number 51, the starting right fielder for the Seattle Mariners. And when he retired, in his home country to that immense ovation against the team that he, for the team he first played with against the team he first played against. It was like you had seen, we lived the entire career of Ichiro Suzuki in a Mariners uniform in major league baseball. And we're seeing talent like that now in terms of like the, what their abilities are, but no one will ever make you feel the way Ichiro felt in terms of just how he did it. He was just an, a, a mystical talent from a place where we really hadn't seen talent like his before. And he just dropped in to the Pacific Northwest and that's what Seattle base, that's what really started me like really wanting to Seattle baseball again. And like I said, it brought Kazuki and I together. And with that, we'll, we'll conclude our, our special podcast today on the night of Ichiro Suzuki being inducted into the Mariners Hall of Fame alongside number 24, Ken Griffey Jr. And number 11, his, both of which players were his teammates, Edgar Martinez. But number 51 will hang on the ring of honor at T-Mobile Park and hopefully someday in Cooperstown, New York. Friends, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, Kazuki and I will be back hopefully soon in the month of September as we race towards the playoffs here on Sayonara Baseball. 
that's it for this episode of Santa Our Baseball. This episode of Santa Our Baseball is hosted and produced by me, Kazuki Akiba, and Brandon Viser. This episode was edited by Kazuki Akiba with additional research by Brandon Viser. Our theme song is by Kay Margus. Santa Our Baseball is a production of Daylight and Media 3 Limited. We'll be back with another episode. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast as more people will know about this show. Go to daylightinteractive.com to see some exclusive updates and more about our upcoming shows. I'm Kazuki Akiba. And I'm Brandon Beiser. And this has been Sound Our Baseball.